Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Idiot Book Nook podcast. My name is Blazewing and my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon and my pronouns are she, her. My name's Lady... <clears throat> my name is Lady Punnett and my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes they, them. Today it is a she, they kind of day. So tell me, do we have to have the tonal inflection on that? What? Huh? Lady, <coughs> do we have to have the tunnel inflection on that? <laughs> Sorry, my uh, bug in my throat. Oh, you're good. You're good. We are going to be going through chapter 23 today of the Amulet of Samarkand, the first book in the Bartimaeus trilogy, which we have been slowly plowing through. Uh, for those of you watching the YouTube videos, you may know that, or you may notice that Reading Dragon here is in a different room. Reading Dragon is taking back her recording studio, apparently. Yes. So, that's awesome. Love it. I haven't been able to be in this space since beginning of the pandemic. Hmm. Must be nice. Yeah. Yep. Part of the next project, though, will be moving my boyfriend's desk out of this room and into the living room. Hmm. He's going to take over my spot. Fun stuff. Yay. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. You can find links to all of our socials, myself, The Reading Dragon, and Lady Punnett. You can find a link to our website. You can find a link to the Crimson Entertainment YouTube where you can rewatch the actual video clips. And you can even check out our podcast feed um, on all of the platforms that we are currently on. And if you have a platform that you would like to see our podcast feed on that we are not currently on, please get in touch and let us know. We would be more than happy to see about adding it for you. The way to contact us is within that link tree. Absolutely. Um, if you go to anchor.fm uh, slash uh, idiot-book-nook, you can also leave us a voice message. And we would be more than happy to also do a listener feedback episode. Please. <laughs> so, with that being said, I'm thinking that it's getting to be about time. We should probably dip into chapter 23 of the Amulet of Samarkand. I believe we're flipping back to Nathaniel today. We are. Mm -hmm. uh, so, just a quick recap, because it's been a moment since... Mm -hmm. We visited Nathaniel. What happened to him last time? There yeah. was an explosion at the uh, ball thing. Parliament. Yeah, that. And uh, Nathaniel saw it, told his master. Master was impressed he saw, but also not because his master is a dick. Um, Bartimaeus also has been captured and is stuck in this dome thing where he cannot escape. And if he touches it, it causes him excruciating pain. Mm -hmm. However, it can grow to literally nothing. Or which, shrink to nothing. Which he can't do. Which he cannot do. And uh, Nathaniel can't summon him. Which is a problem. Yeah, we seem to be in a bit of a pickle. Yeah, and Nathaniel's already tried summoning Bartimaeus a couple times already. Three. Three times. And Bartimaeus is like, fucking bitch, stop it! 
So, narrator, if you would, please take it away with chapter 23. The Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book 1, The Amulet of Samarkand, written by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by The Reading Dragon, voice acted by The Reading Dragon, Blazewing 2010, and Lady Punnett. Chapter 23, Nathaniel. What was to become the worst day of Nathaniel's life started out much as it meant to go on. Despite returning from Parliament at such a late hour, he had found it almost impossible to get sleep. His master's final words rang endlessly through his mind, instilling in him a growing unease. Anyone in possession of stolen property will suffer the severest of penalties. The severest penalties. And what was the amulet of Samarkand if not stolen property? True, on the one hand, he was certain Lovelace had already stolen the amulet. It was to get proof of this that he had sent Bartimaeus on his mission. But on the other hand, he or, strictly speaking, Underwood, currently had the stolen goods instead. If Lovelace, or the police, or anyone from the government should find it in the house, indeed, if Underwood himself should discover it in his collection, Nathaniel dreaded to think what catastrophes might occur. Might occur. What had started out as a personal strike against his enemy now seemed suddenly a far riskier business. It wasn't just Lovelace he was up against now, but the long arm of the government too. He had heard about the glass prisms containing the remains of traitors that hung from the battlements of the Tower of London. They made an eloquent point. It was never wise to risk official wrath. By the time the ghostly light that precedes the dawn began to glow around the skylight, Nathaniel was sure of one thing only. Whether the genie had gathered proof or not, he ought to get rid of the amulet fast. He would return it to Lovelace and alert the authorities in some way, but for that he needed Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus refused to come to him. <laughs> Despite his bone-aching wariness, Nathaniel performed the summoning three times that morning, and three times the genie did not appear. By the third try, he was practically sobbing with panic, gabbling out the words with hardly a care that a mispronounced syllable might endanger him. When he finished, he waited, breathing fast, watching the circle. Come on, come on. No smoke, no smell no demon. With a curse, Nathaniel cancelled the summons, kicked a pot of incense across the room, and flung himself upon his bed. What was going on? If Bartimaeus had found some way to break free of his charge? But surely that was impossible. No demon had ever managed such a thing as far as Nathaniel knew. He beat his fist, use he beat his fist uselessly against the blankets. When he got the genie back again, he'd make it pay for this delay. He'd subject it 
to the jagged pendulum and watch it squirm. But in the meantime, what to do? Use the scrying glass? No, that would come later. The three summonings had worn him out, and first he had to rest. Instead, there was his master's library. That was the place to begin. Maybe there were other, more advanced methods of summoning he could try? Perhaps there was information on tricks Jin used to avoid returning. He got up and kicked the rug over the chalk circles on the floor. No time to clear it up now. In a couple of hours, he was due to meet his master, to finally try the long-awaited summoning of the Natterjack Impling. Nathaniel groaned with frustration. That was the last thing he needed. He could summon the Impling in his sleep, but his master would ensure he checked and double-checked every line and phrase until the process took several hours. It was a waste of energy he could well do without. What a fool his master was. Nathaniel set off for the library. He clattered down the attic stairs and ran headlong into his master coming up. Underwood fell back against the wall, clutching the most expansive part of his waistcoat, which had connected sharply with one of Nathaniel's elbows. He gave a cry of rage and aimed a glancing slap at his apprentice's head. You little ruffian, you could have killed me. Sir, uh, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't expect careering, careening down the stairs like some brainless oig, some commoner. Magician keeps his deportment strictly under control at all times. What are you playing at? I'm dreadfully sorry, sir. Nathaniel was recovering from the shock. He spoke meekly. I was just going down to the library to double-check a few things before our summoning this afternoon. I'm sorry if I was too eager. His, mumble man his humble manner had its effect. Underwood breathed hard, but his expression relaxed. Well, if the intention was good, I suppose I can hardly blame you. In fact, I was coming to say that unfortunately I shall not be in this afternoon. Something serious has happened, and I must... He stopped. The eyebrows flickered and, and melted into a frown. What's that I smell? Uh, sir? That odor. It clings to you, boy. He bent closer and sniffed loudly. I, I'm sorry, sir. I forgot to wash this morning. Mrs. Underwood's mentioned this to me before. I'm not talking about your own scent, boy. Unpleasant though it is. No, more like... Rosemary, yes, and Laurel, and St. John's Ward. His eyes suddenly widened and flashed in the half-light of the staircase. This is general summoning incense hanging about your person. N no, sir. Don't you dare contradict me, boy. How has it... A suspicion dawned in his eyes. John Mandrake, I wish to see your room. Lead the way. I'd rather not, sir. It's a terrible mess. I feel embarrassed. His master raised himself to his full height, his eyes flashing, his singed beard bristling. He seemed somehow to grow taller than Nathaniel had ever seen him, 
although the fact that he was standing on the step above probably helped a bit. Nathaniel felt himself shrink back, cowering. Underwood flourished a finger and pointed up the stairs. Go! Helplessly, Nathaniel obeyed. In silence, he led the way to his chamber, his master's heavy boots treading close behind him. As he opened the door, an unmistakable stench of incense and candle wax gusted up into his face. Nathaniel stood glumly to one side as, stooping under the low ceiling, his master entered the attic room. For a few seconds, Underwood surveyed the scene. It was an incriminating picture, an upturned pot with a with a trail of multicolored incense extending from it across the floor, several dozen summoning candles, still smoldering, arranged against the walls and upon the desk, two heavy books on magic taken from Underwood's own personal shelves, lying open on the bed. The only things that weren't visible were the summoning circles themselves. They lay hidden under the rug. Nathaniel thought this gave him a possible way out. He cleared his throat. If I might explain, sir. His master ignored him. He strode forward and kicked at a corner of the rug, which fell back on itself to reveal the corner of a circle and several outer rooms. Underwood stooped took hold of the rug and flung it bodily as la- and flung it bodily aside so that the whole diagram was revealed for a moment he scanned the inscriptions then the grim intention he scanned the inscriptions then with grim intention in his eyes turned to his apprentice well nathaniel swallowed he knew that no excuse would ha- would save him, but he had to try. <clears throat> I was just practicing making the marks, sir. He began in an uncertain voice. Getting the feel for it. I didn't actually summon anything, of course, sir. I wouldn't dare. He faltered, stopped. With one hand, his master was pointing to the corner of the bigger circle, where a prominent scorch mark had been left by Bartimaeus's first appearance. With the other, he indicated the numerous burns left on the walls by the explosion of the stimulating compass. Nathaniel's shoulders sagged. Um. For an instant, it seemed as though Mr. Underwood's deportment was going to fail him. His face mottled with rage. He took two quick steps in Nathaniel's direction, his hand raised to strike. Nathaniel flinched, but the blow did not fall. The hand lowered. No, his master said, panting hard. No, I must consider how to deal with you. You have disobeyed me in a hundred ways and in doing so have risked your own life and that of the people in this house. You have dabbled with the works of magic that you cannot hope to comprehend. I see Faust's compendium there, and the mouth of Ptolemy. You have summoned, or attempted, attempted to summon, a genie. 
least the 14th level, and even tried to bind it with Adelbrun's Pentacle, a feat that I would balk at. The fact that you undoubtedly failed in no way mitigates your crimes, stupid child. Have you no concept of what, uh, what such a being might do to you? Have you even made the slightest slip? Have all my lessons over the years meant nothing? I should have known you were not to be trusted last year when your willful act of violence against the guests of my house nearly ruined my career. I should have disposed of you then when you were nameless. No one would have given it a second thought. But now that you are named and will be in the next edition of the Almanac, I cannot get rid of you so easily. Questions will be asked, forms will have to be filled, and my judgment will once again be called into doubt. No. I must consider what to do with you, though my hand itches to call up a reviler on the spot and leave you tender hair. See about that. <clears throat> he paused for breath. Nathaniel had slumped back to sit on the edge of his bed. All energy crushed from him. Take it from me, his master said. That no apprentice of mine disobeys me in the fashion that you have done. If I didn't have to go to the ministry urgently, I would deal with you now. As it is, you are confined to your room until my return. But first! Here, he strode across to Nathaniel's wardrobe and flung wide the door. We must see that you have no other surprises hidden away. Jesus fucking Christ. For the next ten minutes, Nathaniel could only sit dull-eyed while his master searched the room. The wardrobe and the chest of drawers were turned out and rifled, his meager quantity of clothes strewn upon the floor. Several plastic bags of incense were found, a small supply of colored chalk, and one or two sheaves of notes that Nathaniel had made during his extracurricular studies. Only the scrying glass, secure in its hiding place beneath the eaves, remained undiscovered. Mr. Underwood gathered up the incense, books, chalk, and notes. I shall read through your scrawlings upon my return from the ministry, he said, in case I need to question you further about your activities before you receive your punishment. In the meantime, remain here and reflect upon your sins and the ruin your career. Without another word, he swept from the attic. He swept from the attic and locked the door behind him. Nathaniel's heart was a stone plummeting to the bottom of a deep, dark well. He sat motionless on the bed, listening to the rain tapping on the skylight, and far below, his master banging from room to room in his fury. Eventually, a distant slam assured him that Mr. Underwood had left the house. An unknown time later, he was startled out of his misery by the sound of the key turning in the lock. His heart jolted with fear. Surely not his master back already. But it was Mrs. Underwood who entered, bringing a small bowl of tomato soup on a tray. She placed it on the table and stood regarding him. Nathaniel could not bring himself to look at her. Well, 
she said in a level voice. I hope you're satisfied with yourself. From what Arthur tells me, you've been very bad indeed. If his master's torrent of anger had merely numbed him, these few words from Mrs. Underwood, laced as they were simply with quiet disappointment, <clears throat> pierced Nathaniel to the marrow. His vast vestiges of self-control failed him. He raised his eyes to her, feeling tears prickle against the corners. Oh, Neth John. He had never heard her so exasperated. Why couldn't you be more patient? Miss Lutienz Lutien. used to say that this was, this was your abiding fault, and she was right. Now you've tried to run before you can walk, and I don't know if your master will ever forgive you. He'll never forgive me. He said so. Nathaniel's voice was faint. He was holding back the tears. He's extremely angry, John. And rightly. He said my, my career was ruined. I shouldn't be surprised if that was exactly what you deserve. Mrs. Underwood. But, perhaps, if you are open and honest with him about what you've done, there is a chance he will listen to you when he returns. A very small chance. He won't. He's too angry. Mrs. Underwood sat down on the bed beside Nathaniel and put her arm around his shoulder. You don't think it's unheard of, do you, for apprentices to try too much too soon? It often marks out those with the most talent. Arthur is livid, but he is also impressed, I can tell. I think you should confide fully in him, throw yourself at his mercy. He will like that. <laughs> Nathaniel gave a sniff. You think so, Mrs. Underwood? As always, the comfort of her presence and her calm common sense reached past his defenses and soothed his pride. Maybe she was right. Maybe he should tell the truth about everything. I will do my best to appease him, too. She went on. Heaven knows, but you don't deserve it. Look at the state of this room. <laughs> I'll, I'll clean it right away, Mrs. Underwood. Right away. He felt a little comforted. Perhaps he would tell his master. Own up to his suspicions about Lovelace and the amulet. Things would be painful, but simpler that way. Drink your soup first. She got up. Make sure you have everything ready to tell your master when he comes back. Why is Mr. Underwood gone to the ministry? It's a Sunday. Oh, some emergency, dear. A rogue gin has been caught in central London. A slight shiver ran down Nathaniel's spine. Gin? Yes, I don't know the details, but apparently it was masquerading as one of Mr. Lovelace's imps. It broke into Mr. Penn's shop and caused no end of damage. But they sent in a freight and caught it soon after. It's being interrogated now. Your master thinks that the magician that sent the djinn may have some link to the, these artifact thefts that have been bothering him. And perhaps to the resistance too. 
He wants to be there when they force the information out. But that's not really your prime concern now, is it, John? You need to be, siding, be deciding what to say to your master. And scrub this floor till it shines. Yes, Mrs. Underwood. Good boy. I'll look in for your tray later. No sooner had the door been locked than Nathaniel was running to the skylight, throwing it open and reaching under the cold, wet tiles of the for the bronze disc. He drew it in and shut the window against the Lansing rain. The disc was cold. It took several minutes of escalating inducements before the imp's face reluctantly appeared. Blimey! It said. It's been a while. Thought you'd forgotten me. You need to let me out yet. No. Nathaniel was in no mood to play around. Bartimaeus, find him. I want to see where he is and what he's doing. Now, or I'll bury this disc in the earth. Who's got out the wrong side of the bed today? There's such a thing as asking nicely. Well, I'll have a go, but I've had an easier request in my time, even from you. Muttering and grimacing with strain, the baby's face faded out, only to reappear again, faintly, as if from afar. Bartimaeus, you say? Of Uric? Yes, how many can there be? You'd be surprised, Mr. Touchy. Well, don't hold your breath. This may take some time. The disc went blank. Nathaniel hurled it onto the bed, then thought better of it and stowed it away under the mattress, out of sight. In great agitation, he proceeded to tidy his room, scrubbing the floor till all traces of the pentacles were gone and even the marks of candle grease had been improved. He stowed his clothes away tidily and returned everything to its proper place. When he drank his soup, it was cold. Mrs. Underwood returned to reclaim the tray and surveyed the room with approval. Good boy, John, she said. Now tidy yourself off and have a wash while you're at about it. What was that? What was what, Mrs. Underwood? I thought I heard a voice calling. Nathaniel had heard it, too. Oi! From under the bed. I think it was from downstairs, he said weakly. Maybe someone at the door. Do you think so? I'd better see, I suppose. Somewhat uncertainly, she departed, locking the door behind her. <gasps> Nathaniel flung the mattress aside. Well, he snarled, somehow, and went. The baby's face had big bags under the eyes and was now somehow unshaven. Well, it said. I've done the best I could. Can't ask for no more than that. Show me. Here you go, then. The face vanished, to be replaced by a long-distance view across London. A silver strip that had to be the Thames would wound across the backdrop between a dark gray mat 
between a dark gray mess of warehouses and wharves. Rain fell, half obscuring the scene. But Nathaniel easily made out the focus of the picture. A giant castle, protected by endless loops of light, of high gray walls. In its center was a tall, squared keep, with the Union Jack flying from its central roof. Black-sided police trucks moved below in the castle courtyard, together with troops of tiny figures, not all of them human. Nathaniel knew what he was looking at, but he did not want to accept the truth. And what's this got to do with Bartimaeus? He snapped. The imp was wary, heavy-voiced. That's where he is, as far as I can reckon. I picked up his trail in the middle of London, but it was already faint and cold. It led here, and I can't get any closer to the Tower of London, as you well know. Far too many watchful eyes. Even from this distance, a few outriding spears nearly caught me. I'm fair tuckered out, I am. Anything else? It added, as Nathaniel failed to react. I need a kip. No, no, that's all. First sensible thing you've said all day. But the imp did not fade. If he's in there, this Bartimaeus is in trouble. It observed in a rather more cheery manner. You didn't send him out there, did you? Nathaniel made no reply. Oh dear, said the imp. Then, that being the case, I say you was in almost as much bother as him, wouldn't you? I suspect he's probably already coughing up your name right now. It bared its sharp, small teeth in a face-splitting grin, blew a loud raspberry, and vanished. Nathaniel sat very still, holding the disc in his hands. The daylight in the room gradually faded away. And that is the end of chapter 23 of the Amulet of Samarkand. And god fucking damn it, when shit blows up, it blows up hardcore. Oh, shit. So, I don't know about you, uh, Lady Punnett. What do you got for notes for this, uh, for this episode? Uh, I wish to play devil's advocate for Mr. Underwood. Mm. Okay, what you got? So, first and foremost... Although we all agree Mr. Underwood is a piece of shit. Yes. yes. He did have a point that to his knowledge, Nathaniel wasn't ready to summon a level 14 demon and he could have killed, killed and or injured himself and everyone else in the house, including Mrs. Underwood, who to our knowledge is the only person Mr. Underwood seems to care about. Yeah. I will give you that on the flip side as somebody who has a massive distrust of authority. Mm -hmm. I probably actually, well, maybe not doing things exactly the same, would have most likely followed Nathaniel's footsteps in this case. Yeah. I would have probably done a few things different than Nathaniel did, but I have issues with authority. Mm-hmm. Another thing is, and we know this. So here's the thing. Last 
in the year previous, and Mr. Underwood pointed this out, that he, that Nathaniel had shown great violence to people in his house. Yeah, that would have been the incident with Lovelace when they first exactly. met. Ferret says, I'm not I saying that was okay. Ferret says, I was reminded of the jelly donut scene from Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> I've never seen that. But basically, uh, Underwood saw that Nathaniel was prone to great violence. Yep. To guess in his own home, which made him look really, really bad. Mm. So to see that apparently he didn't learn from that and is trying to summon strong entities that he himself has claimed he would not try to summon mm. into his home and potentially not just hurting guests, but also the re residents in his own home. Mm. I can understand why he would be frustrated and angry um yeah as our youtube uh commenter pointed out however this series th this book at least I, I don't know about the series but this book at least seems to be a case of people telling nathaniel not to doing the thing and then nathaniel doing the thing anyways i 100 percent <laughs> totally agree with that assessment at least from what we've seen thus far well again i'd like to remind those that we have discussed this already nathaniel does not have a good master in the sense of Nathaniel's never been socialized properly, for one thing. And Nathaniel has not been provided the means of learning proper social etiquettes and what to do when you've been slighted by someone. Fair. Well, we've already been over the fact that he hasn't been hasn't been socialized properly mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. We also theorize the reason he hasn't been socialized properly is because Mr. Underwood isn't able to socialize him properly because no one wants to willingly socialize with him. Which is, also ineffectively, which is also ineffectively, uh, in some part, Nathaniel's fault because of the shit that happened last year. I well, wonder... Nathaniel didn't do things any better, for sure. However... I wonder if... Uh, Underwood tried to do something similar to what Nathaniel's doing, tried to summon something greater than he could, and inadvertently hurt, hurted people. Because cause, cause look at how he reacted. We know Underwood isn't above physical, like, corporal punishment, but yeah. he stopped himself and said, no, I need to make, I need to think this over clearly. And then he went on this spiel and talked to Nathaniel the longest we've ever seen him in this entire book about yeah. why, I, what you did was what could have happened. Put real emphasis on you could have hurt yourself and others. So going back to the whole theory that we think he's partially deaf. I wonder if he tried to do that and it caused him to hurt other people and himself to the point where he's now partially deaf. So hmm. question then. Are you mm. theorizing that Mr. Underwood is actually a foil to Nathaniel? I think he is. Maybe. I think Mr. Underwood is an example of what Nathaniel could potentially become if his own hubris affected him so. Because I think oh. Mr. Underwood is also afraid of demons and he wanted to instill that fear early on into Nathaniel. So he understood, listen. Well, These are tools they are to be afraid of. They will hurt you if they have the chance. 
Oh. Well, we, we do know that Mr. Underwood is afraid of demons. He doesn't like them. He doesn't like dealing with them. He seems reluctant to. And he has been trying to scare the ever-living shit out of Nathaniel since he was a kid, in which case I would actually agree with that assessment that you know, Mr. Underwood is trying to instill the fear of hell within the kid because of possible past learned experiences, which mm -hmm. is an absolutely amazing avenue to go down. And I love this line of thinking. And also think about it. He saw and he stated he has the knowledge to know you were trying to summon a level 14 demon when to my knowledge, you haven't even summoned a level one null. Mm -hmm. We also have you, to, sorry, go ahead. You have to understand how that is not okay and how seemingly none of my teachings has affected you at all. We also have to contend with the fact that we got another piece of information from Mrs. Underwood that we didn't know. So... Mr. Underwood was absolutely livid with Nathaniel, at least in appearance, but he did stop himself from striking this, the boy, despite the fact that we know he's not above capital punishment. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Underwood told us that Mr. Underwood, while livid and upset and absolutely pissed with Nathaniel, was also impressed. Oh, yeah. Which is an out. Which is why she heavily suggested, hey, just be honest with him. Just let him know that you've been, like, doing shit outside of normal studies. Just be honest with him. That being said, I, I do have a an issue with the way Mr. Underwood handled the situation with an invasion oh, yeah. of privacy and raiding his shit. And yeah. those exact actions are exactly why I have issues with authority in the first place. The fact that Bartimaeus has been caught, and Mr. Underwood is now going to investigate Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus is Nathaniel's doing, leads me down the path of tell him nothing. Yeah. Once again, playing devil's advocate, I think one of the reasons Mr. Underwood did all that was because, you know how when kids get into trouble, they try to do everything they can so they don't continue to get into trouble? Yes. So kids are reckless? He now knows that Nathaniel's still reckless. So I think what he was doing was making sure he didn't have the supplies so he could summon again while he was out. See, Fair. here's a problem with that, though. Because, uh, and I'm just going to preface this, reading all of that bit, that hit straight home for me. Because mm -hmm. my father did that yep. to me a lot, whether I deserved it or not. In my case... It led me to learning how to hide things better. Correct. Even if it was something that I didn't, that was not going to get me in trouble, I had to learn how to hide shit better. Correct. I learned how to get things to me in other ways that didn't leave a trail. And I actually agree with that. It doesn't teach you anything. It doesn't teach you like anything good. It doesn't teach you respect. It doesn't teach you understanding or compassion. What it teaches you is how not to get caught next time. It teaches you to not trust people. Correct. Once again, kind of playing devil's advocate. This is the first time, to our knowledge, Mr. Underwood has even been in Nathaniel's room. Yeah. Fair. I like how you're the one playing devil's advocate here. Mm -hmm. Right? Just given past impressions with you and Mr. Underwood and Nathaniel, you seem to have like erred on Nathaniel's side a lot of the past times. And now you're taking Mr. Underwood's side. I'm not so much taking his side as noticing 
like you said, n- Mr. Underwood is a great example of a foil to Nathaniel. Because mm-hmm. from what we've seen, especially in this last chapter, Mr. Underwood is logic-based. Fair. He is running a lot on what he knows, uh, social constructs, and basically how to, how to talk to people and how to not seem like an idiot. Nathaniel is emotional-based. Someone slighted him, he released things into the house, even though they could have easily attacked Mrs. Underwood or, or Mr. Underwood. Uh, things didn't go his way? Oh, I'm just going to study even further and summon a demon and make things really, really hard for my master and, atten- and possibly intentionally make him go to jail for something he didn't do. Because my master is a stupid. Exactly. So I am, because I understand why Nathaniel did it. However, I'm also looking from Mr. Underwood's point of view, where to our knowledge, he doesn't have a lot. He's not so, high in the social standings. Mm-mm. All he has is his house. So whereas Mr. Underwood is, more controlling where he likes to have control over everything around him. Would it be fair to assume from what we have seen and I I know you're probably going to chew my head out for this, that we can assume Nathaniel is extremely arrogant? We have seen that he's arrogant though. We've seen it. Yeah, we've seen the arrogance definitely. Again, in my perspective, looking looking at this um in my point of view, it's in listening to all the sides and whatnot, including the devil's advocacy, it's all around kind of a shite situation because of the fact that um, with Mr. Underwood's uh, situation not being, he's not a social outcast. Maybe turn off, like, hit the switch on your mic when you're about to slurp. Sorry. It's It's all right. (laughs) I I, I love, like, hanging out with you and whatnot. But all I can hear is you slurping. (laughs) All of the slurps. Sorry, continue your thought. (laughs) Oh, God. But anyway, um, with Mr. Underwood's situation, not entirely being a social outcast or a social pariah, but pretty much on the halfway point, teetering onto the negative. um, With that, that has kind of created this environment where Nathaniel is not able to properly grow into the kind of magician or person that wouldn't do the things that Nathaniel is currently doing. Fair. Yeah. With Underwood's situation, it has unfortunately resulted in an, un, a, an unhealthy environment all around. I would actually agree with that assessment. I would say that this household is fairly toxic in the way mm-hmm. that things are being dealt with. Uh, even Mrs. Underwood has her moments. Yes, she cares about the kid, but she is also prone to backing up her husband and doing what he says. Maybe not so much out of choice, but out of necessity and because she has no choice. Yeah. That, like she, that in itself could breed several problems. Yeah. I would like to point out another thing about Mrs. Underwood. We mm-hmm. assume she wasn't a magician, but she could hear the little imp. Yep. Yeah. And to our knowledge, non-magical people can't hear or see them. 
correct. So there's a very likely chance that she does do magic, except she's probably not a well-named magician, or she probably just has enough to be considered, uh, what was it, honorary? Maybe I she's think hiding. it could... It could also be the fact that she's like that one girl from the beginning of the book who mm -hmm. is magically aware, but not a magician. Which maybe, I really want to see her again. Or maybe she's hiding something. Maybe. So That was a good discussion, folks. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. So, with that being said, I'm actually thinking this is a good spot to break this episode. Um, for those of you that are watching the YouTube... Um, we hope you've enjoyed this. For those of you watching the YouTube and listening to the podcast, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, we hope it has brought some sort of, uh, I guess, ability to think. Uh, Crit critical or, thinking. Thank you. Yes. Critical thinking. That's the words I was looking for. We hope that it's brought you some sort of critical thinking uh, today and whatnot. For those of you on the Twitch stream, well, I mean, we're going to be back shortly, so bear with us. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can do so at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Idiot Book Nook. You can find our YouTube, you can find all of our socials, you can find our website, and you can find our podcast feeds. And once again, if you would like to see us on a podcast feed where we are not normally uh, at or where we are not currently hosted, you are more than welcome to get in touch with us and let us know, and we will see about adding it to that uh, podcast hosting service. The Linktree link has been posted in the comments, but for Chapter 24 and Episode 40 of the Idiot Book Nook podcast, my name is Blazewing. And I'm the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And it has been a pleasure bringing you this book oh. and we will see you oh sorry we're chapter 23 episode we 39 done. we'll yeah. see you in episode 40 for chapter 23 we're almost yay. 10 episodes away from our 50th yay ah.